I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, repeaters, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So you ready to go back into the swamp? Hell yeah. Honey Island Swamp. That's spooky stuff out there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, we're back on February the 28th, 2021, recording episode 55, the Hatchet Franchise Part 2. Yeah. Thank goodness there's not a Part 3 in the can yet. (laughs) 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 There probably will be. (laughs) Yeah. But before we dive into the movies, let's go through the news and whatnot. I took notes throughout the week on a few things that stuck out to me. I saw that they're rebooting Constantine for HBO Max, which sounds cool when you start that way. And it's supposed to be really dark and more horror like the comics, which still sounds cool. And then you find out J.J. Abrams is producing it, which could go either way with me. Yeah, that and who are they going to have as the lead? They're kind of wanting to take a different approach to it. So we're just going to have to see how that plays out. All right, all right. Netflix has a Supernatural-like TV series coming out called The Irregulars. And it's supposed to basically be a dark Sherlock Holmes story where this group of not-famous investigators are trying to figure out these supernatural things that are going on. And if I read it right, I think that Sherlock and Watson might not be the good guys in this movie or the series. Hey, okay. The trailer's up on Netflix, so make of it what you will, but I couldn't imagine it not being at least fun to watch. Okay. This one's pretty cool. David Fincher is reuniting with the screenplay writer from Seven to make a thriller for Netflix called The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Okay. That could be good. We were semi-excited on the last episode that there was going to be a Paranormal Activity reboot, and we were talking about the different ways it could go. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah. Well, they announced that it's going to be a streaming series on Paramount Plus only. Okay. That'll be watched by other people in other places after it premieres. (laughs) There's too many streaming services. These studios that are trying to make their own streaming services need to just get over it and partner with HBO and Netflix and Hulu or whoever the fuck you can get the best deal with. Well, this is like what I talked about in the beginning when other people started coming online. Streaming is going to become, it's going to go through a growing pains, which we're watching right now, where it's going to become cable 2.0. And eventually it'll all be on one platform with what all the new production houses that have been set up producing content. That's that's just how it's going to end up going. It's just, we're going to have to wait and see how fast it goes. Speaking of too many streaming services, the Twilight Zone reboot got canceled after two seasons, and it's on like a little separate network streaming service. I don't know if it's Peacock or what, but I still haven't watched any of it yet. But yeah, it's either that or CBS All Access, one of them. It might be CBS, and I haven't watched it yet either. And I was really excited when they announced it. I was really excited that Jordan Peele was attached. And I was like, I'm not paying another $8 a month to a streaming service when I already have Netflix, Hulu, Shutter. Disney plus HBO max. You know what I mean? Like yep. I already have these content providers. I don't need another one. Yeah, totally agree. But back to streaming services that everybody should just partner <laughs> with army of the dead by Zack Snyder has a release date on Netflix of May 21st and the trailers out. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. I think it's going to be fun. I think I'll enjoy it. We'll have to wait and see. As far as announcements go, I am going on vacation next week with my family to Disney World, and there's going to be a lot of packing to be done this week while editing this episode, and then a lot of traveling, and then I have to return and prep for another episode, record and edit it. 
And we're going to try to get it out on time. There is a chance that it's either going to be a few days late or, you know, maybe we just kind of like skip it slightly, make a, a little break and then kind of pick up where we left off. But real life comes in sometimes and uh, I don't want to rush an episode and make it sound like crap. So, yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all that have been listening to us from the beginning. Yeah. You know, we, we always come back. Maybe just a little later than we promised. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually because I'm having a vacation or children, but, <laughs> and as far as our updates and corrections go, I'm looking at this long list that I typed up because I type it as I'm editing it. And I'm hoping I'd nitpicked here because there's a bunch in here. I was going to say nitpick. But, <laughs> I realized that the episode before Hatchet, we called Grindhouse Franchise. Which is confusing because we went straight into another franchise with Hatchet, but it's because I didn't actually count Grindhouse as a franchise. I counted it as a category and named it poorly. So <laughs> any confusion there, that's why. Jim Henson's Creature Shop was the company that made the Muppets, for lack of a better word, for Brian Henson for the Happy Time Murders, but it had the label of, what do they call it, Josh? The uh, Henson Alternative, their adult-themed division. <laughs> Which is still the same people in the same studio making it, but they like to slap the the label on there just so you know not to take your kids to see it, basically. Yeah, it's a cop-out if anybody bitches. That's how I see it. <laughs> <laughs> And Josh, the director that made Mortal as well as Troll Hunter that you couldn't recall his name is Andre Overdahl. But what I wanted to point out is he also made The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I love that fucking movie. And that's probably the one you couldn't remember. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Scary Stories Tell in the Dark, which I haven't watched yet because I'm waiting on my son to get a little older to watch with him. You're the parent. I don't know how long you're going to wait, but I don't know. They're supposed to be doing another one. Maybe when the other one comes out, you can you can double feature it. But it's. Just growing up with the books, there's a lot in the movie I can, I could poop on, but growing up with the books, I'm still okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids don't have the same tolerance for horror at a young age that we did. So, ah, Rory Culkin was the Culkin brother. Yeah. in intruders. Josh, this appears to be the last correction in your section of the episode, but <laughs> Perry Shen is of Chinese descent and he speaks Cantonese, which is what he was speaking in the movie. Okay. And I said that Kane Hodder's first Jason film was Friday the 13th part five, but it's actually part seven. And I realized that as I was editing it, womp, womp, womp. and I didn't correct you because I didn't know. <laughs> Just remember he started out in a new blood. So hey, that makes sense. Joe Lynch was a gator hunter cameoed somewhere in there. I don't remember where, but he is the hunter that gets his jaw ripped off in hatchet two. Okay, there we go. So I forgot to mention Joe Lynch, who is one of Adam Green's best friends and does the movie crypt with him, and I felt bad. I had made mention of Laura Ortiz when you were in Hatchet 2 talking about, I'm only 14, when, uh, when yeah. Jack Crackers go through the video. And uh, I said that she was the uh, fast-talking girl in a Verizon commercial. And uh, I had to look it up. She was a fast-talking cheerleader in a T-Mobile commercial. I really like Laura Ortiz, so y'all never hear me talk much about corrections, but I actually looked something up. <laughs> and I didn't realize that that's the same actress that pops up in part four of the franchise. And I like her character in that. So it's pretty funny. My last correction is more of an apology. And that's, I'm sorry for my kids in the background on the episode when we were recording, because I do have three small children running around the house when I'm recording. And as much as I try to uh, protect the sound, it happens. So we're just going to have to be used to it for a little while. So <laughs> it only happens occasionally, but and I guess if I'm apologizing for stuff, 
I have to say that I spent the last two weeks watching scary sleepover episodes from Adam Green on YouTube, and okay. they are so fucking awesome. I love them. He's great on it, and it made me regret every bad thing I've ever said or thought about a hatchet movie or anything <laughs> just because I like Adam Green so much. So I just thought I'd say that. That's my thing, man. I, I like him. <laughs> I like Joe Lynch. Yeah. Anybody who's listening is like, man, Adam Green's movies are terrible. Like, watch Joe Lynch movies. <laughs> they're, they're even worse, but I love him, <laughs> and he came from trauma. So. Yeah. And I guess the last thing before the movies is the the what we watched, and my list is rather pathetic because <laughs> I have worked an insane amount of hours the past two weeks. But I've continued to watch WandaVision. It's starting to get the creepier horror elements in there to set us up into Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange 2, and there's only one episode left. And I think it's fantastic so far. And even though it's not fully horror, I just want to say the idea they had of each episode being a sitcom from a different decade starting in the 50s was awesome because the director and writer had to write every episode in a different style, model it after the show, and Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany has had to act like characters from different decades of sitcoms. And it's almost like they're a different character every episode. And that's really original. It's almost like having an American Horror Story type anthology show, but in one season of a show. Yeah, we still haven't checked it out, but I definitely do plan to. There's a lot of work you can tell that went into it. And I like that Disney with Marvel and Star Wars outside of the movie so far is starting to take gambles and chances on Disney Plus because there's a lot of interesting storytelling we had there from the uh, comics and extended universes and whatnot. So let's hope that these big studios start realizing that some of their most watched content is stuff that goes outside of the checkbox wheelhouse of a billion dollar movie. Right. <laughs> and then finally, the last thing that stuck out to me, I watched a movie that has always looked really cool to me and I didn't watch because one of my best friends, David told me, this is one of my favorite movies. You'll fucking hate it. Don't watch it. <laughs> and that was the dead. Don't die. And I watched that with my wife last night. I loved every minute of the movie. My wife had so much fun watching it until the credits hit. And then she's like, I hate this movie because it didn't explain anything. And that was probably part of why I liked it. Have you seen it? Yes, it's bonkers and fun as hell. So what'd you watch, Josh? So after the snowstorm, our internet went out. So all my streaming services were useless. So we didn't have much to watch other than going back to the well. But just this past weekend and going back a couple weekends ago, actually, Special Unit 2. It was okay. a TV show back, it ran two seasons in 2001 and 2002. It was either on WB and then Sci-Fi, something like that, of course, given the early 2000s. Okay. Um, you can understand. But uh, it was a uh, paranormal investigative buddy cop comedy show. Okay. Kind of like somewhere in between Charmed and Supernatural. <laughs> like okay. Somewhere between those with your main characters being, and you know me, I don't know people's names, the mom from Paranormal Activity 4. Okay. And the cop from Final Destination 2. That I don't remember as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's got some funny shit in it, but uh, it only ran two seasons. It's worth a watch. I don't know that I'd spend money on it. Just last night, Willie's Wonderland. Oh, I want to see it so bad. I'm just going to say it could have been so awesome. Since you haven't seen it yet. That's all I'm going to okay. say. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question. This shouldn't spoil anything for anybody. I just want you to answer it for me. Okay. Do we have an angry Nicolas Cage playing a Nicolas Cage type character, just being angry and beating the shit out of Chuck E. Cheese like robots? Yes. I'm good. That's all I'm expecting from it. <laughs> 
But I guess that's it for housekeeping, so let's dive into the movie, shall we? All right. So I'm starting out with 2013's Hatchet 3. And as I go through the cast and crew, I'm going to try to not repeat credits that we've seen already, unless I feel like I forgot something. (laughs) But this one is written by Adam Green. However, it is the only one in the franchise not directed by Adam Green. Yep. It's directed by BJ McDonnell, who has primarily been a camera operator. And if you look at his credits on IMDb, he has done some gigantic fucking movies and shows as a camera operator since he started working with Adam Green. Oh, yeah. But he ended up directing this film, and that was because Adam Green was supposedly too busy working on Holliston and another movie, which I think I know what it is. I put it in my notes further down. So he needed somebody to direct and he thought BJ had the chops and BJ felt really comfortable doing it because he said, as a camera operator, you end up directing anyways. I could see that. Not like in place of the director, but like you have to talk to the crew and tell them where you need them to be for the camera and stuff like that. So he had a little bit of experience. Yeah. And I watched him say this in two different interviews with two different alkaline trio t-shirts on. So I like the guy already, <laughs> but other than directing this film, the only other stuff I saw that he had directed were a couple of Slayer videos <laughs> and some air hog commercials for TV. And that's it, <laughs> which I hate that because I'm going to be honest. I've watched these movies more than I've done any other movie specifically for the podcast. Obviously we've done movies before that I've seen them 50 times, right? Yeah. But when we were doing the first episode, I went ahead and watched all four. So I'd have an idea of the franchise. And then I watched them again before I did the notes for the last episode. And then I watched them all again. I don't know why, but I just kind of <laughs> marathon through them. For somebody that makes fun of the franchise a bit, it, it's kind of odd that that happened. But on my first viewing through the franchise a few weeks ago, I remember saying, man, his directing skill has gotten a lot more technical <laughs> on this one. And I like the direction he's going. And then I realized it wasn't Adam Green. And I'm not shit on Adam Green's directing style. It was just different. And I kind of liked it. And it's just really weird that it was a guy that didn't go to film school to be a director was directing. And I felt like it had more technical aspects. Whereas Adam Green does the, I need the fucking shot. So I'm just going to do it this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot more coverage. There's a lot more camera movement because Green's early work is, is kind of Kevin Smithish. Um, like, yeah. hey, I'm the two shot guy. What you, you move your camera? No, you just bolt it down and have people right. stand in front of it and talk. And yeah, it's definitely a different look, but for the better. I agree. Yeah. And I guess if you have a camera operator directing the movie, he's got all sorts of ideas for camera <laughs> angles, right? <laughs> yeah. But the cast, we have Danielle Harris returning as Mary Beth. And of course we have Kane Hodder returning as Victor Crowley. Perry Shin pops up again in this one, but as Andrew <laughs> and for newcomers. We have Zach Galligan as Sheriff Fowler, which he will forever be Billy Peltzer from Gremlins. You're goddamn right. And we have Caroline Williams as Amanda, who I will never forget as being Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And she's done lots of other horror work. I love how you completely left out Leprechaun 3. (laughs) I don't know if I've seen Leprechaun 3. I'm pretty sure she's in the Vegas one that I'm pretty sure is the third one. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And we have Derek Mears in the film as Halls. And I love this guy, especially after seeing him on a scary sleepover with Adam Green. But to me, Halls is always going to be Swamp Thing from the James Wan produced Swamp Thing show. Yeah. He's fantastic in it. 
you can see his character acting and playing through all the prosthetics, which is really hard to do. And I really like him in that role. But he is also the new Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th reboot, which I really wish the rights hadn't gone into production hell because I could have seen that going well. And he was a good Jason. Yeah. And if you'd make it farther into Holliston, you'd see him more there, too. (laughs) That's what I hear. And he was also the classic Predator in the Predators film. Oh, shit. So he's gotten to play Swamp Thing, Jason Voorhees, and the Predator so far. And he's a funny dude. He is a funny dude. And he's not actually a stunt actor. He's an actor. Yeah. This next one, I hope I don't butcher his name, but it was Robert Diego Doki as Deputy Winslow. And watching this guy in the movie, I fucking love his character. He's a big part of the comedy relief and he's very entertaining. And I'm like, I, surely I've seen this guy in like hundreds of films because he's so funny or TV show episodes or whatnot. And I look and he really hasn't done much else. Oh, wow. Which I thought was kind of crazy. But I like this character in this movie. He's really funny. And lastly, we have Riley Vanderbilt as Doherty, the SWAT agent. But she was the young Victor Crowley in the previous Hatchet films, as well as being a member of Team Unicorn, which I believe I had stated previously. And I also saw that she's in Frozen, made by Adam Green, and she's done lots of little Adam Green projects. And that's because it's his ex-wife, as Josh pointed out on the last episode. Yep, yep. And the special effects, I think we said this previously, but Robert Pendergraft does all the special effects ever since he picked up on the second one. So it's him and this one, him and the next one. Yep, for the rest of the franchise. Probably be him in five and six, too. (laughs) Right, right. And as far as background information goes, there's not a lot. They just made more movies, right? But (laughs) this was the original conclusion to the Hatchet story. And if you take Hatchet 1, 2, and 3 and remove the opening and closing credits and watch them it is basically one you know three three and a half hour long movie that occurs over two or three days right yeah but like i said with this being the original conclusion to the hatchet story adam green said this was it he was going to end it and then he started getting interviews when the third one was about to come out and after the third one came out and every time they asked him if it was going to be the final film he would dodge it or say things like you never know what can come back so you can tell he wasn't planning on this being the last Victor Crowley hatchet film, but he was planning on it being the last one for that particular story, which is still not entirely true. When we get to the next movie, (laughs) Adam green couldn't direct it. Like I said, cause of Holliston, but he was also working on another movie. He stated and looking at the timeline, I have to assume it was digging up the mirror. Probably. He did still write the movie. He still was the executive producer. And if you watch interviews with him, he talks about the amount of chigger bites he had and like getting bit by mosquitoes and getting sick from being on set the whole time. So who knows? This could have been a Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg, poltergeist (laughs) type situation. As executive producer, being on set as much as it sounds like he was, he probably was still somewhat directing. And the last little bit of information I wanted to add is this is the first film in the series that was filmed almost entirely in New Orleans, Louisiana. Hey, because you had a sound studio and a desert for the other two. And this one, they actually shot New Orleans and did pick up shots and stuff, uh, you know, back on a soundstage somewhere. Okay. Keep in mind that I did not have the DVDs of this film and had to watch it on Amazon Prime. So Josh might gleam some more insight as we go through <laughs> the film from director's commentaries and behind the scenes he might have had access to that I did not. Hey, I was actually a good boy on this one and I watched the director's cut and that was it. I didn't even read anything. I was lazy. 
It sucks because I could find behind the scenes and making of it the other two, and I could not for this one. We'll see how much I actually have rattling around in there because I've watched it with commentary and behind the scenes, but it was years ago. But just like the last film, we open up where we left off on the previous film with Mary Beth emptying a shotgun into Victor Crowley and kicking his hatchet away and walking off because people never kick the weapon away from the slasher, right? And she falls to her knees, almost like she's having a panic attack, crying and shaking. Then she slowly stands up and the camera's at an angle where she's on the right side of the frame. And then the left side of the frame, you can see Victor Crowley laying on his back and he sets up in unison with her standing, just like the shape setting up in the background of the original Halloween. Fucking love that shot. She goes further into the swamp and starts to see the remains of characters from the first and second film and goes for a gun on the ground, but it's empty. She then tries to get to the 120 pound chainsaw from part two and tries to get it cranked and finally gets it cranked, but she can't lift it because it weighs 120 pounds and Victor Crowley grabs her and yanks her up to him. And you think he's going to kill her right here, but she punches into his head through the shotgun wounds from earlier and grabs his brain and yanks on it, which makes him let go of her and fall on his back. But he lands on the cranked chainsaw, which cuts him in half spewing blood all over Mary Beth And she grabs the shotgun off the ground and his scalp is a trophy. Cue the metal opening credits. Hell yeah. Hatchet three. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We see her walking through the swamp, shotgun and scalp in hand as the sun's rising and the metal continues, but she eventually finds like a major road. And that's kind of like her walking into New Orleans in the last film, right? Yeah. And then we cut to a police station where we see Winslow bringing a drunken Adam Green into the station wearing his same, you know, marijuana leaf necklace and shirt and shit from the last two movies and locking his ass up and telling Sheriff Fowler or Zach Galligan about how easy of a Mardi Gras it's been this year. She's got a gun! After that bit of news, they charge in and take Mary Beth down cuff her and confiscate both her gun and her scalp as she repeats over and over again they are all dead they are all dead i killed them right yeah they just know she's seen some shit and it sounds like she did right (laughs) yep yep and in that scene you can really tell how short danielle harris is yeah but at this point adam green finds another excuse to throw danielle into the shower hey and he doesn't care about the uh the tattoo this time Right, right. We find out that the sheriff is shocked that she had so much blood on her and none of it belonged to her, right? And they put her in her cell, and luckily she's neighbors with Adam Green and Joe Lynch. Holy shit, Joe's in there too? Yeah, he's in the cell with Adam. Okay. (laughs) But the sheriff's trying to get the truth out of Mary Beth because he does not believe her story. He even says that he knows who Victor Crowley is and that he knows all about the legend, but if she did actually experience this, how would she have escaped with only scratches on her body, right? Exactly. He also thinks that it's really dumb that if she survived an attack from Victor Crowley, killing all these people that she knew and got away, that she would actually go back to the scene with even more people. And he just thinks it's a really dumb idea. And who would believe you if that happened? And I wonder if that's some self-reflection on Adam Green for his writing on the previous two movies. (laughs) There is a lot of self-reflection over these two movies. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, seriously, it's like, well, I put that in there and she went back, but in hindsight, there wasn't really a good reason to go back. Exactly. But the sheriff continues to question her and tell her that her story is shit until the cops pop in on the radio. 
It's a fucking massacre out here, sir. The sheriff says that he's going to head to Honey Island Swamp and tells Winslow to call in the paramedics and the firefighters immediately. As he's saying this, he's ambushed by the local Victor Crowley obsessive expert that happens to be his ex-wife, Amanda. And he gives her the no comment speech and says that it's just another murder. But apparently she's heard too much on the police scanners. Oh, and by the way, apparently they have a dog named Arwen that they share, which as a fan of the movie Crypt and Scary Sleepover, I know Arwen is Adam Green's dog. Yep. And the sheriff basically leaves his ex-wife in there, which I think is kind of odd, and heads off to the swamp. Amanda then tries to sweet talk Winslow into letting her see the suspect, and he's not really taking any of her shit because he's known her for too long. So then she just skips straight to she's going to post the bail, right? <laughs> Back on Honey Island Swamp, we see the paramedics arrive and they do not believe that a girl could have done all this. And also, if you have a keen eye, you will spot that Perry Shin has returned once again, but this time not as one of the brothers. He's a paramedic named Andrew. Back at the station, Amanda wakes Mary Beth up in her cell and tells her that her bail's not set yet because she hasn't been before a judge, so she can't bail her out, but she lets her know that she's a journalist and has some questions for her, and Mary Beth gives her the cold shoulder, and since Amanda is classy, she talks shit about Mary Beth's father and brother and then just calls her Poe White Trash. <laughs> she says that she can help her prove that Victor Crowley exists, or she could just wait for lethal injection. Decisions. <laughs> she then decides to remain classy and start talking more shit about her father, Samson, until Mary Beth lets her know that Victor Crowley killed her father and brother. And Amanda gets a look of astonishment on her face, and instead of having sympathy, she just wants to know the story. And we're back at the swamp for the next scene, and I just want to say, for the rest of the movie, we're going to continually cut back and forth between the swamp, the police station, and a cop cruiser. Yep. And it's going to get annoying. So here we go. <laughs> we see Andrew bring a giant ass body bag and throw it up on the boat ambulance for the coroner who is played by Sean Whalen, which I didn't mention him earlier, but he has been in so much shit. Just look him up. And Andrew tells him that he really needs to check this body out first. And he starts doing like a lot of like into windows hinting. This is fucking Victor Crowley. I need you to prove it. Right. Because yeah. he knows the legends and believes it. And then the paramedic tells him about how many bodies he's seen recently and how fucked up it is. And he lets Andrew know that he saw a body that looked just like him. <laughs> and Andrew thinks he's being racist and saying that all Chinese people look the same. <laughs> or it looked just like him. Oh. But we then cut to Mary Beth talking to Amanda and Amanda reconfirms what a repeater is to us. And she says that there's no way that Mary Beth actually killed him, no matter what Reverend Zombie said. It's now night at the swamp and we can see that the coroner is prepping his tools to take a look at the Victor Crowley body. But in the background, while he's prepping, we can see Victor basically sneak out of the body bag, right? Yep. And... He's gone out of frame and then reappears with defibrillators and pops his head basically with them, right? He puts one on each side, yells clear. He doesn't, Victor Crowley doesn't yell anything besides daddy. <laughs> but basically, it's like he yelled clear and the head pops. Yes. And then he charges out of the ambulance at one of the deputies who unloads on him and takes Victor down for a second. But Victor lands right next to his hatchet on the boat where all the evidence is piled up and gets up and chops the deputy's head in half, right? So he's fucking dropped a couple people pretty quick here. Yeah, fastest actual kills in all the movies. Pretty much. Back at the station, Winslow can hear the slaughter on the radio, and he radios the sheriff as Amanda asks Mary Beth if she thinks he killed him now. 
right? <laughs> and she says that Mary Beth is the last descendant of Samson and the only one who can actually stop this massacre. And somehow she convinces Winslow to let Mary Beth out of her cell and take them for a ride. Back at the swamp, the sheriff is on site and he's trying to make a plan with his deputies as the SWAT team shows up and Halls immediately shuts him the fuck up and takes over. Deputy Schneiderman grabs his bag that is loaded with an arsenal of weapons, including a rocket launcher, and starts to show the bag to Doherty. And he tells her about the Victor Crowley legend. And she says she's not from here and does not know who the fuck he's talking about. So he starts to break into the legend of Victor Crowley, like we've seen in the previous films, until he's interrupted. Come on, let's go dipshit. And I just want to say that the actor who played Schneiderman was actually Adam Green's production assistant previously, and he just wanted to put him in the movie. You know who that is, don't you? No. That's D. Snyder's son. That is fucking awesome. And he's Schneiderman. That's kind of funny. Yeah, if I remember right, that's D. Schneider's son. And Doherty, of course, is... Riley Vanderbilt, and her name is Michaela Doherty in the film, which is an homage to Michael Doherty, who did Trick or Treat. Yes. This man knows his shit. It's just- I know, right? There's a, there's a couple <laughs> other names that do that, and apparently D. Schneider's one of them. <laughs> but we cut to Winslow's squad car as Amanda's telling Winslow to take them to Ozona, while Mary Beth keeps asking what the fuck's in Ozona over and over again in the back seat where she's cuffed. <laughs> and Amanda says that Thomas Crowley's there. Thomas Crowley. Thomas Crowley. If he were alive, wouldn't he be like 300 fucking years old by now? Her Hickson is so bad in this one. <laughs> I know, I know, but I love it at the same time. <laughs> but back in the swamp, who the fuck is sick of hearing me say that over <laughs> and over again? Because I am already, and we're not far into this film. Anyway, Sheriff Fowler briefs Halls on his suspect and his theory, and Halls lets him know that he's familiar with the legend of Victor Growley, and he'll be the judge of what the fuck's going on here. He then asked the sheriff if he is an expert on the Victor Crowley legend like his wife was. And Fowler tries to go into this deep, long sob story about how him and his wife fell apart and, and got a divorce until Halls tells him that he's just making small talk and doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a great fucking delivery, too. But while they're walking, we can see that Schneiderman is really jumpy and he's trying to tell Doherty how bad this is if it actually is Victor Crowley. And he's trying to convince her this isn't Casper the friendly fucking ghost they're dealing with after she talks about her own paranormal experience. <laughs> they then stumble across several dismembered bodies, and Halls taunts Fowler by asking him if he still thinks his girl in custody did this, right? Because <laughs> how could a small woman have dismembered all these bodies and hung them in the trees so high like that, right? Yeah, she can't reach that high. Exactly. Like I said earlier, she's short as shit, apparently. <laughs> Back in the car, Amanda explains that they're headed to Thomas's crazy great-nephew's house to get Victor Crowley's ashes and that Mary Beth herself has to deliver the ashes to Victor Crowley so that he'll finally be at peace for getting his father back. So it's not so much the revenge of killing the the boys that did it, it's so much that he wants his daddy that he's looking for every night and hopefully the ashes will cut it. Yay, plot twist. He's not a fucking phoenix. <laughs> Back at the swamp, Hoss <laughs> continues to take charge and wants panicking Schneiderman to shut the fuck up. These are somebody's balls. Balls are not supposed to be hanging from trees, yet I'm finding myself looking at fucking balls, sir. That guy knows what's up. They then run into Andrew, who is the only survivor of the first group of first responders that showed up, and he tells them that it is Victor Crowley and they need to get the hell out of there. The sheriff then takes his radio and tries to call the military in, and Hall stops him, 
cancels the request and lets him know that this is his show and he's not going to fuck it up and embarrass himself by calling the military in. Pride is a dangerous thing in Honey Island Swamp. (laughs) Exactly. But Schneiderman and Andrew are huge believers in the Victor Crowley story, especially Andrew because he's seen some shit. And they're trying to convince Halls and everyone else to leave. And they're startled by something in the bushes. So everyone unloads all their ammo on these bushes that are moving. And of course, it's just a Bayou Beaver in there, right? (laughs) However, we hear the daddy cry as they make this discovery. And Andrew tries to show them proper hiding in a bush technique (laughs) as they all ignore him and head towards the house. You want to get in on this? (laughs) Exactly. He's so funny right there. He's like, no, no, no. You hide like this, right? Victor Crowley then begins to harpoon yank deputies into the house to kill them. Mortal Kombat Scorpion style, basically. That's the best I can explain that. Yeah. And he actually manages to take out two of the deputies before they even get a chance to unload on the house, right? And Victor Crowley then begins to start ambushing all the cops and SWAT team members, Patriot style, with a hatchet. And a few of them decide to surround him and start beating him with the butt of their rifles. And he kind of hunches over as they surround him. And then he just stands up like the Hulk slinging his arms out and throws them everywhere. And he just starts to fucking grab him and massacre him. That's the best I can say. Like he picks one up over his head, just rips him in half. He's body slamming him. He's hatcheting cops and SWAT members and he curb stomps a few of them. Yeah. I'm not counting deaths in this movie like I did on the last one, but I know I said a few of them died, but by a few, I mean, it was a fucking shit ton of cops just died right here. <laughs> like we probably surpassed the body count of the previous film right now. Okay. The SWAT and police then unload on Victor Crowley as Halls charges in and tries to fight him for some reason. So we get another slasher versus slasher fight as we have the two Jasons fight each other this time. And he delivers a one-liner as Victor Crowley punches him in the stomach, grabs a spine, and yanks a spine and skull out of his stomach. Sub-Zero style. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sub-Zero style. I actually <laughs> thought about that. I was like, well, kind of, but already made the Scorpion reference. Fuck it. Somebody was playing Mortal Kombat when they made this. Yeah, they were. But another cop manages to pop Victor in the back with a shotgun, and Victor charges that cop and grabs him and starts trying to impale his head on a spike in front of the house. And Schneiderman takes this opportunity to go on a rant about, fuck this, we got to take him out, and reaches into his bag, pulls out the rocket launcher, and fires it. (laughs) And Victor Crowley leads back and dodges the rocket as the cop takes the rocket to the gut and is thrown into the house and explodes. And you see fire everywhere, and he did not directly hit Victor, obviously. And we see Victor come running out of the fire quickly, and he chunks a board and impales Schneiderman in the back with it. And everyone else opens fire on Victor for a minute, and then just says, fuck it, and takes off running. And Victor <laughs> proceeds to rip each of Schneiderman's limbs off one at a time, and then curb stomp his head into the mud and slowly drowning him as he begs for his life. Fuck you! Yeah, that shit's brutal and it's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a cool kill scene. You can see the remains of the house burning down in the background, though, and it starts to collapse. And Victor Crowley just pauses and stares at it and sighs. And he honestly looks sad as he sees his home is gone, right? Yeah. And that was uh, one of the good examples of Kane Hodder working through all the prosthetics, right? Yeah. But we pop back to the trio and car ramrod as they show up at Crazy <laughs> McMullen's house and they knock on the door and we are greeted by Sid Haig, who wants to know why they're there at this crazy hour. 
and why the reporter brought a colored with her. And they let him know that it's not that crazy of an hour because it's only 8 p.m., right? And they eventually talk him into letting them in as long as the colored Winslow doesn't steal anything wise in there, right? Yeah, his character's racist as fuck in this scene. <laughs> he is completely and entirely racist, which... As far as I know, Sid Haig wasn't racist at all. But anytime you see the guy, he's like just like a gentle old grandpa. It's kind of funny. And then he's playing this character in this movie. But we've seen him in Rob Zombie movies, so he can play a bad guy pretty good. Oh, yeah. He just goes for it. That is what that is what always made him so good was like what you just said. It's such, such just a laid back, nice guy. But every fucked up character he ever played, he just went balls deep with it. Right. And I don't feel like stating all the racist jokes he makes to Winslow as the scene goes, but just know there's a lot worse things being said than calling him a colored and asking him not to steal shit. Yeah. They're, they're pretty grade school though. Yeah. And one of them being that he tells Winslow that he mumbles too much and he can't understand his people, right? (laughs) His delivery, man, it's insane. And and this is one of those scenes where, the actor playing Winslow is so great because his fuck you. I'm not putting up with this shit. I'm a cop, you know, and he's getting accused of stealing the uniform and the badge. (laughs) It just keeps going. That's a good thing to bring up though. You finally get to see this character Winslow, at least almost find his balls. Cause the whole time he's been doing whatever the fuck Amanda told him, but that's because he's thinking she's making just enough sense that it's worth Going for after he heard the massacre at Swamp, right? So what you're saying is it's just like it is on set when Green is leading his crew. (laughs) Right, right. But Amanda and Winslow try to explain, and and I'm just saying Amanda and Winslow, by the way, because they've left Mary Beth cuffed in the backseat of the squad car at this point. Yeah, she's not saying much now. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. But they're trying to explain that they need his uncle's ashes for an investigation, and they basically just take the ashes from him against his wishes as he fires off a few more racist rants. Yep. In the swamp, we see Andrew, Fowler, and Doherty run into another paramedic from the first crew who runs off the other way, and Andrew says he doesn't even know that guy's name, and they just start heading for the ambulance boat. We see that paramedic make it to another small boat from one of the previous films, and he's trying to get it cranked, and we see that Ben is still alive and bleeding out from the first film. (laughs) And we see Victor Crowley throw a hatchet, and it nails Ben right in the forehead as he delivers the third, you've got to be fucking kidding me, of the trilogy. And the paramedic falls over and is then pinned between Victor Crowley and an alligator. But the gator gets him first. I don't know which would have been worse. No shit. But we then flash back and forth between Amanda telling Mary Beth that she has to hand the ashes over to Victor Crowley herself and the last of our swamp crew trying to get on the ambulance boat. And Andrew asks the sheriff where his boat is, and the sheriff wants to know what's wrong with this one. And Andrew lets him know that he doesn't have the keys because he works with a bunch of racist rednecks that don't let him drive shit. No keys. But we then see Victor come running out of the bushes, and the crew decide to run into the ambulance boat and barricade themselves in. And at this point, Victor tries to beat his way into the boat (laughs) as Sheriff Fowler uses the radio to call in the National Guard. And he tries to say that he needs help because they're being attacked by Victor Crowley, but they didn't understand him. And he decides to change his story to say that they're being pinned down by crazed gunmen and that all of his people have been taken out so that the National Guard will actually come. Yep. He asks for a chopper for immediate evac, and they say they'll be there in like 20 minutes or something, right? And Victor Crowley stops rocking the boat at this point. And the sheriff tells them that he thinks they should just hunker down until the National Guard arrives. 
And there's a dead body on the ground as the coroner from earlier. And you can see Andrew looking at him kind of sad. And he looked sad, honestly, earlier. I forgot to say that, that he didn't know the guy's name that he knew was probably about to die. Yeah. And he says that this guy on the ground's name is Randy and that he actually knows his name. Right. And you can see that he's having some um, regret. His name was Robert Paulson. Exactly. (laughs) But from the sound of it, we can tell that Victor Crowley has found his belt sander from earlier in the evidence pile on the boat, and he starts trying to grind his way through the door. And at this point, I'm going to go ahead and call the third act as we see Winslow and crew show up at Honey Island Swamp, and Winslow tries to radio the sheriff, but he can't get a hold of anyone there. And the station lets him know that they heard that there was a distress call to the National Guard placed by the sheriff. So Winslow and crew start to head deeper into the swamp as we cut back and forth to the sheriff and crew trying to come up with a plan in the boat, right? Yeah. But we see the boat crew try to fend off Victor Crowley's arm through a hole a couple of times as the urn crew starts to yell for the sheriff, not knowing what the fuck's going on. And we see Amanda hand off the urn to Mary Beth, and she starts yelling for Victor and tells him he needs to come and get his daddy. And it appears that Victor might have headed off to the sound to the boat crew. Yep, yep. The boat crew can only hear slight sounds in the background. They can't make out what it is yet, and they notice that Victor wasn't reaching through the hole anymore, so they think that they're saved by the National Guard. Until the voices get closer, louder, and clearer, and the sheriff figures out that it's his ex-wife. So he sticks his head out to yell and warn them as Victor grabs him and belt sands down his head all the way to the stump of a neck, and his decapitated body falls in. Yeah. I don't know what you had on the unrated cut, but on the R-rated version, you only see Zach Galligan from inside the boat. So you just see his shoulders up to the door, and he's twitching and screaming, and then the then he falls in with no head. So I don't know if it cuts to the other side of the door in your version or not. I honestly think it's all only the inside. There may be brief shots of outside, but I don't think there's explicit gore cut there. But I've only seen that one twice, so... Don't hold me to it. Right. And really wasn't needed there, so they just might not have done it, right? You get enough blood splurting when his body falls back in. Yep. Cheaper and faster and still gets the point across. (laughs) Yeah. BJ might make it as a horror director after all. (laughs) But Doherty wants to reach for the sheriff's gun that's now fallen on the ground, but it happens to be in front of the hole that Victor grinded through. And Andrew is strongly discouraging her from reaching for that weapon. And she goes for it and grabs it and appears safe until Victor reaches in and yanks her out to the hole and dismembers her. So she's gone now. She takes like what feels like two fucking minutes to actually reach for it, though. Maybe if she had just been a little bit quicker. She could have just slid her boot and kicked it to Andrew and then they would have had a gun and nobody went in front of the hole. But oh, well. Yeah, yeah. But back at the urn crew, we see them find all these bodies from earlier in the movie. And they realize that basically everyone's dead. And Victor shows up. So Amanda tells Winslow to cover Mary Beth and pushes Mary Beth towards Victor Crowley with the urn in her hands. And Amanda tells Winslow to not shoot Victor until he takes the urn. Mary Beth slowly approaches Victor and sets the urn on the ground and apologizes for what happened to him and what happened to his father. And she slowly backs away as Victor admires the urn. And we then see pixie dust appear around Victor Crowley and he fades away into nothingness. (laughs) Just kidding. That's more like the Nightmare on Elm Street ending. Oh, yeah, you're not wrong. 
What actually happens is we hear Victor say daddy and then go for Mary Beth, but Winslow pops him in the chest a few times real quick, taking him down. Winslow then walks up and empties another mag into Victor's chest as he's laying there, and he turns around and say that Victor's dead as Victor stands up behind him and rips his sternum in two, and it's pretty badass looking. Yeah, it is. Amanda dives on the ground and tries to protect the ashes until Victor Crowley grabs her and fucking rips her head off and then mary beth grabs the urn and gives a battle cry as victor crowley chunks the head through the air nailing her in the face knocking her back and then he rushes her tackles her and impales her on a tree sideways she's feeling a bit branchy <laughs> shit it's worse puns than i usually have <laughs> He tries to go for her to finish her off, and she says, here's daddy, motherfucker, as she smashes the urn on his head, and he starts to melt and fall apart, just like the Nazi from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? True. And <laughs> exactly. Poltergeist, the whole thing, same effect. It had to be the candles and the crayons. <laughs> she then manages to get herself off the tree and grabs what I think is a dragon's breath shotgun off the ground. And begs for what's left of the killer's body to get up for one last scare, but he won't budge. So she just fires. Fuck it! <laughs> she then collapses, bleeding out as we hear the National Guard arrive and Andrew flag them down. And we can hear her heartbeat fading as her breathing slows. And then we fade to credits, not knowing her fate. The end. Yep. And that is Hatchet 3. And the only thing I want to add to the movie was I regretted not counting the insane amount of kills in this film after doing it on the last one. So I decided to look it up afterwards and it was 23. Okay. So I would say Adam Green hit his goal of increasing the body count each film. Oh yeah, most definitely. I really like this one. This one's weird. Like I put two and three together. Like they feel more cohesive out all four of them, um, especially the first three with it's supposed to be originally supposed to be a, a trilogy and, and, and all right. taking place over two nights um, or three nights. It feels good. I like what BJ did. There's a couple of CGI touch-ups in this one with the gore that I'm not a fan of, but it feels more like a, a complete story Yeah, and less, less humor and established. Of course that was in, in the establishment with the first movie, but it, it feels good and it changes the story a little bit without getting dumb i mean it's dumb in its own way and i mean that you know in the fun way right but all in all it's still good and it still works and would have worked to close out a trilogy i think to add to that i, I feel like this one really comes off as more of a low budget horror movie than the other two did because they definitely had all those horror comedy beats to it and this one decided to just be an action horror flick really yeah and, and like you said the the scene where where we actually get Victor Crowley going berserk on the cops and the SWAT team is just fun and it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel as weird as the over the top gore, maybe in the first two and a couple of shots. It's like this has been established and this is where it's going to go. And it doesn't try to one up it with like a gag stuff, like pop right. out somebody's eyeballs into the corner pocket of a pool table type. Yeah. Schlocky shit. But that's all I have for Hatchet 3. So I guess we're going to have to round out this franchise series with 2017's Victor Crowley. Yeah, I'm going to preface this real quick with uh, it is storming something proper over here now. So if I'm mixed in with thunder and rain and maybe a few cries, deal with it. <laughs> what are the cries from? Oh, that's me being scared. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so... 
we'll get into what led up to this movie after I get through the makers and the cast. But like you said, 2017, written and directed by Adam Green, of course, was back to uh, direct proper on this one. Um, we did have somebody missing in this one, but we'll get to that. Perry Shin, of course, as Andrew Young. Kane Hodder, of course, as Victor Crowley. Laura Ortiz as Rose. And uh, I mentioned her being in Holliston and shit previously, but she was also in the Hills Have Eyes remake, Chillerama. She did some shit with Team Unicorn. Okay. She was even uh, had a very small part in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. We've also got Dave Sheridan as Dylan, <laughs> who I didn't realize who he was. And then once I looked it up, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in Scary Movie. He's in Ghost World, Bubble Boy, Devil's Rejects, character actor. <laughs> Definitely character actor. <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I knew he went poopy and it was good. I had no clue, man. I had to look it up. And I was like, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> We've got uh, Crystal Joy Brown as Sabrina, and this was her first real movie, and they were doing a table read for the movie, and everybody's like getting together and like talking and introducing everybody, and she's like, I'm so excited. This is my first movie, and everybody's like, oh, well, we'll welcome you in. And she's like, yeah, I've only done Broadway before this, and everybody's like, oh, shit, we're around a real actress. <laughs> <laughs> Felissa Rose as Kathleen. Yes. Going all yes. the way back to Sleepaway Camp. I'm just going to mention a couple of things here. Sleepaway Camp again tales of halloween and about 140 other genre flicks and i'm not yep. joking about that it's just too much to go into we've got brian quinn as austin who everybody on set referred to as q because i'm guessing that's what he's known as on impractical jokers because that's the biggest okay. thing he's known for i've caught a couple episodes not really my jam but he's also done some work with kevin smith as well then we got another big female, Tiffany Sheppis as Casey. Lots of trauma, like a yep. lot of trauma. Tales of Halloween again. And once again, about 140 other <laughs> genre flicks. I'm shit you not. And there's a couple more people we'll bring up as we get into the film. But for the beginning here, we'll round it out with Chase Williamson as Alex, who I always know from John Dies at the End because I fucking love that movie. And he was also in Scare Package. But spoiler, he's not in it very long. Okay. And of course, like the rest of the franchise, Robert Pendergraft with the special effects. So how this movie came into being and the whole self-reflection thing. <laughs> and I'm laughing and I really need to stop laughing because this shit's kind of somber. So after uh, three was done, green was done. Like, that's it. That's all I planned on doing for this. And, you know, like you said, he was working on digging up the marrow. He was working on Holliston. You know, he was seeing what else he could get into. He's made a name for himself. He's done a trilogy to service the fans. Let's work on other shit. And then by 2014, Dave Brocky dies of a fucking accidental heroin overdose. That's Odorous Arungus for, from Guar, for anybody who doesn't know the name, Dave Brocky, yeah. who was, is, if you've never seen Holliston, Odorous Arungus is Adam Green's imaginary friend that lives in his closet on the show. And he's fucking hilarious. Yeah. So that happens. Green got divorced and Holliston was also canceled. So he was in a really bad, dark place that we'll go into more detail on later and just wasn't feeling the scene at all. Then Wes Craven died and it was like, what the fuck? Like the, the greats are dying and here I am thinking I can make a name for myself and everything's fucking falling apart. So a few months later, he's at Rock and Shock and he was asked to be the moderator for George Romero's panel and he did it. And afterwards, now this is the story as Green tells it, and I've seen people give him shit on the internet about this, and I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just going to say it how Green fucking tells it. And after the panel, Romero pointed out to Green all these fans in the audience, and he's like, yeah, they really like you. And he's like, no, look, look, 
Victor Crowley, Victor Crowley, Holliston, Holliston. These are your fans too. And that, you know, this is what we do. You have to give them their next movie. They, they need it. And that this was what actually motivated him to go say, fuck it. I'm going to write another hatchet movie. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's really, really cool to hear that. And as you're going through the list of people that died, this probably was not long before George Romero himself passed away, right? Giving him those final words. If I remember correctly, he died 37 days before the premiere. Okay. If I remember correctly, because Green talks about it in the, the Q&A. But he does it. He goes home and he starts writing Arwen's Fancy Dinner, which later became known as Arwen's Revenge, because he's writing the movie in secret. This is like Blue Harvest. Okay. Like, he didn't even want somebody to see the script and know that it was another Hatchet movie. He gets some of the crew back together, including Will Barrett, but Will Barrett had to pull out at the last minute to do another project. And they brought on a new guy that I can't remember his name, and I feel like a complete asshole um, to be the director of photography and watching the behind the scenes. The guy's awesome. He's like Will Barrett and BJ put together. Like, okay, knows what to do. And there's pickup shots of kills and stuff that they did later where they needed smoke. And so he's getting the camera set up and like vaping and blowing smoke into frame. Be like, action. (laughs) It's fucking cool shit. So So, he's kind of like a second unit director as well. uh, I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's funny is by the time they did the pickup shots, Will Barrett was available. So it's it's all <laughs> kinds of weird. But they actually managed to keep the project a secret. So the 10-year anniversary of Hatchet rolls around. And Adam Green announces that, you know, Aries Scope is going to be doing this special presentation, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And he was live streaming it on his Facebook. And it was going to go down on August 22nd, 2017. And all these people from the previous movies are there and everybody's like, you know, cool, 10 years of Victor Crowley, blah, 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 blah. And Green comes up, tells the Romero story and says, now, everybody, here's Victor Crowley and just dropped the movie on everyone right then. And he was able to keep it a secret the entire time up until then? Yes. And the people are like, what? And he's like holding up his phone. He's like, MTV wasn't allowed to publish the story until three minutes ago. And it was like, holy shit, they actually kept this shit in secret. And what's really cool is even uh, they do the Q&A afterwards and they got everybody back, even Tamara, after nice what shit was said about her, which you could take one way or the other. But it was cool to see her there. And uh, you can watch that whole thing on YouTube, not the movie, of course, because Green is the Lars Ulrich of piracy when it comes to the okay. film industry. Uh, <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, he's he is very vocal about don't download my shit. <laughs> Okay. So anyways, that's the whole big thing about how this came to be. It was never, never planned. And you can tell that by watching the original trilogy. And plus it's 10 years later on the behind the scenes. It's awesome. Cause you can see Adam green acting just as giddy after they get a shot and just, you know, hooting <laughs> and hollering and so proud of his people. Brutal 11 day shoot, which kind of shows. Are you serious? Yes. I guess the locations are very limited though. So I could see that. Yeah. Two days of pickup shots, and we'll get to it, but the credit scene was also only known to the people that needed to be there to shoot that. No one else knew about that. It wasn't in the script. Awesome. So, with all that being said, let's get into the movie. So, we open at Honey Island Swamp. Not the next night, and not right where we left off at. It's 1964. And we see Del and Sue having a romantic night, chilling in a rowboat. I don't know if I would have done all this in a swamp, but whatever. I guess the 60s were simpler times. I mean, depending on where they live in Louisiana, the swamps might be all they got for a lover's lane. (laughs) You're not wrong. So Dell starts to nervously propose to Sue. 
And she starts crying like uncontrollably because she's so happy. <laughs> and she starts like snotting all over her face and she's trying to w- wipe it away. And she's just, I mean, makeup running, bubbles of snot. Like she looks hideous, but he's, and he's looking away from her and holding out the ring. He's like, would you just go ahead and say yes? <laughs> and she does. And she lays one on him and uh, he pulls away with all the, the stringy mess on his face and starts gagging yeah. and shit. <laughs> and uh, she puts the ring on and she's like screaming and shit. I don't remember that actress's name, but she's fucking hilarious. Yeah. And all is well until they hear it. Daddy. And so they make their way to shore. They're like, what is that? Is it someone that needs help? And they go running off into the woods until they run into a hunter, which is fucking Tyler Maine, who was the shape. I don't know if you feel comfortable with me saying that or Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. (laughs) Hey, I said in the Halloween franchise that he's one of my favorite shapes. He was just big for the role. (laughs) I'm glad you caught that. I actually saw him in a kid's movie with my kids the other day uh, with John Cena. And they're like firefighters trying to like take care of children. And he's fucking hilarious in that too. And I'm like, it's interesting that he went from wrestling to being Sabretooth and X-Men to being Michael Myers to he's in a kid's movie and he's kind of funny and he's singing opera in it. Holy shit. Range. <laughs> yes. Anyways. But we quickly find out that he knows what kind of trouble they're in and he tries to help them out. Let me give you a word of advice and listen close because it might just save your life someday. Never. <laughs> and he's immediately decapitated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Dell tells Sue to get back to the boat, but Victor Crowley pops up and he hatchets him through the back of the head, poking out his eyeball on the end of the hatchet. Sue puts her hands up in defense and gets her fingers immediately chopped off, <laughs> followed by her legs, her arms, and then her head. Victor Crowley picks up the head, growls, and we get our title card. And it's <laughs> very Evil Dead remake, durr, words on screen title card. Yeah. It's so funny though, because when he cuts her fingers off, he gets the the ring finger with the ring, and she's trying to grab it <laughs> instead of get away as um, he massacres her slowly. Yeah, if only she knew how fuck she really was. It's really cool because you get that original Friday the Thirteenth vibe. Oh, with totally. The flashbacks. Yeah, and and obviously Friday the Thirteenth was a huge influence for this franchise. Yep. So we then get this shot of this candle that's uh, overlaid with some pictures that go through while we get a, the narration telling Victor Crowley's backstory for, I guess, anyone who happened to just catch this movie first. And after that, we jump to the Sabrina show where Andrew <laughs> is being interviewed for his book, I Survivor, because it's the 10 year anniversary of the killings. Oh, the book is real. It was written after the movie. Adam Green's one of the co-writers. Okay. My wife has an autographed copy of it, along with all her autographed DVDs. Because she That's really, awesome. She's very obsessed with Adam Green. Send me pictures of all of this so that I have content to put on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but we quickly learn that uh, no one believed Andrew's story as far as it was Victor Crowley. They even thought he was the murderer, ended yeah. up going on trial because his DNA was found on two of the victims. But after all the press, the trial, the acquittal, and the divorce, he's moved on. For pre-shadowing plus foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing that now? Is that a thing? I guess. And while he's saying all this, Sabrina's being a dick. Like she's she's like your typical talk show host. I brought you on here to belittle you, type dick. <laughs> and uh Andrew's not having a very good time. And if you look at the bottom, you'll see a little pop-up things like on next week's episode, a uh, cop reports monsters are real. And that's a reference to digging up the marrow. Okay. 
And I don't think it's announced yet that she's his ex-wife. Like, I think you find that out later. So you're just wondering why Oprah's being so fucking mean to her guests the whole time, right? Exactly. So we then kind of pull out of the TV show to where we're watching it on a TV in a motel room. And we see Chloe and Alex as a Jack Chop commercial starts to play on the TV. <laughs> and Chloe is like hella into Andrew. Like, I want to have all 15 of his babies. <laughs> and shit like this. And uh, and Alex is like, what? I'm right here. And she's like, it's my free pass. And <laughs> just couple shit. And Rose walks in wearing a towel and just drops it. And that really is Laura Ortiz, not a body double. And... Uh, <laughs> Because she wanted to show more, and Adam Green's like, I love you like a sister. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and uh, she starts giving them shit about having to hear their awkward sex all night. You heard us? Depends. Do you mean the minute long one at around midnight or three minutes at around 2.30? Do you think she can hear us? Oh, no, she's definitely asleep. Oh, stop, stop, exit only, exit only. Which, by the way, Chloe, you're missing out in a major way. You proved. More importantly, Rose calls Chloe Miss Director. Yep. And we very quickly learn that Rose is the makeup girl. and She's got a Holliston hoodie or sweater with her makeup back. And, um, oh. and Chloe is some kind of director. And Alex sucks ass because he couldn't even get his one job done right. And that's making a copy of Ben's shirt that she points out that he's wearing <laughs> that is wrong. It's very derpy looking. And I didn't mention in the previous film, but in Mary Beth's cell, if you look over the, I think it's the paper towel rack or the sink, one of the two, the symbols drawn on the wall in Sharpie. Yes. So Chloe's like, she, when she's bitching at him, she's th flipping through this book and it's like this, this, uh, dossier. dossier. <laughs> yeah. That she's got on every fucking body that's been killed in, in the, the massacres. So, uh, we go back over to, uh, the Aeroscope production office. I mean, the Sabrina show, because this is literally <laughs> you've watched enough scary sleepover that, you know, this is the doors to the back garage where Adam Green does scary sleepover. I didn't actually catch that. That's really neat. And we see Andrew and his publicist, Kathleen, confirm that one, Sabrina is his ex and their plan to cash in will soon be over. And Kathleen says that he can spend the rest of his days counting his money in Japan. I'm from Baton Rouge. And I'm Chinese. Are you sure? She is a national treasure to the horror genre. Oh, she's so good. The idea we're supposed to get here is that he hired her like two days ago. <laughs> like this is right oh, out okay. the gate how bad she is and how bad he is and what he deserves for making these life choices. So we're off to the book signing and we see an excited <laughs> ass Chloe and gang in line along with Green's assistant holding Arwen. And you'll see Sarah Elbert in line, some crew members in line as well. Yep. And Andrew's poster has a dick drawn on it. It's not the only dick popping up in this scene. <laughs> Someone had also scratched out Survivor in I Survivor on the poster. I murder. <laughs> but Kathleen, some OJ shit, right? <laughs> but Kathleen covers it all up with post-it notes. She's like, look, we're good. <laughs> uh, Sarah Elbert was the dick drawer, if anybody wanted to know. <laughs> okay, okay. So we see uh, Andrew signing this girl's boobs while Chloe is laying out the plan with the gang. They're making a mock trailer and they're trying to get Andrew to be in the actual movie that this mock trailer will raise funding for. Hello, it's the story of Adam Green making the first hatchet film. That's what this group yep. is. Then Linus is next in line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he whips out his junk right on Andrew's face on one of the books, not not literally on his face. 
<laughs> and uh, he's like, make it out to Linus. And he's like, I'm not signing that. And he's like, you just signed that girl's boobs. Why, why don't you sign my dick? You a homophobe? It's like, no, I'm not a homophobe. I just, I don't move your dick, sir. <laughs> and it's so good. And I forget the actor's name, but that's really his junk. In case anybody was wondering about that. Oh, does it show the junk in the unrated? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. In the rated version of the movie, it's just from like his belly button up. Oh, in the unrated version, yeah. you get coverage. You get like three different angles. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the gang, as I've been calling them, make their way up next and Chloe starts her pitch. But Kathleen immediately shuts it down and shuts down the whole fucking signing because she was on the phone and they just got the offer of a lifetime. And she drags Andrew away. Outside, she tells him it's a TV interview on a private jet looking over the swamp. And then they <laughs> land in Honey Island Swamp to finish the interview. And uh, Andrew, of course, says, fuck no. And he's like walking away. And she's like, they offered $600,000. And he stops. But then he keeps walking. She's like, I got him up to a million. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, fuck it. I'll go back for a million dollars. So cut to the plane. And it's a great shot because it's his face right in frame with her behind him. And yeah. it's him in the plane with her behind him in the in the plane it's just green doesn't really do that a lot in his films and it looked good in this so uh andrew's immediately stressing out and kathleen's leaning up behind she's like what's the matter honey you don't like flying here i got some xanax some valium some adamant like she just rattles off all this <laughs> yeah. shit and he's like no thank you she's like i got some hardest stuff if you need it <laughs> we quickly meet the flight crew which is adam and joe adam green and joe lynch yep with their blacked out fucking aviators because the reflections were causing problems in their tiny ass rickety set. <laughs> That's why they're not That's looking funny. the same direction <laughs> when you see them looking at Andrew. Because <laughs> it really is just the fuselage of a plane sitting in a warehouse. That's how they shot all this stuff before the crash. <laughs> I can see that. Oh my God. Him coming in on the in-flight radio. <laughs> yes. So good. Like on paper, it's so bad, but it's so good in practice. Uh, so we also get to see the rest of the interview crew, which is Austin, Casey, and Jay. And then the interviewer walks in. Oh, shit. It's Sabrina. <laughs> yeah. And then as you were alluding to, Green does the pre-takeoff fucking announcement. And it's so good. Uh, we're going to fly a plane. Uh, it's going to land somewhere. I don't know what he says, but like every time he pauses, somebody goes to say something. <laughs> It just comes right back in, and I fucking love it. Yeah, you got like Austin pulling his earbud out each time, and then he goes back in, and he's like <laughs> bouncing his head to the rap song he's listening to. It's like, oh, they're talking more, and uh, we're going to be flying at about uh, <laughs> 32,000 uh, feet today. <laughs> and it's like, some shit you would expect to see in an airplane movie if they remade it. Yes. And <laughs> it's one of those times that in the behind the scenes, Green talks about, it's one of those jokes that it's funny. And then you keep it going too long and it's no longer funny. But then if you keep it going long enough, it becomes funny again. And he's exactly right. <laughs> I get that after thinking about it. Cause when I hear it, I'm like, this is so good. And then I hit a point where I'm like, this is going on too long. And then I just remember laughing really hard again after that. And he's right. I guess you can drag a joke out to the point that it's cool again. You can, man. <laughs> it's like nineties fashion. <laughs> oh, so meanwhile, and y'all are about to hear that a lot. <laughs> Everybody's used to that, I think, from you at this point. True. That's your and because that's what I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we see that the gang has made it to a Honey Island Swamp Tour with 
Dylan. <laughs> and Chloe has promised him a part in her movie. And he is really into Rose right out the gate. Rose. By any other name. I have a dick. They then find out that they're the only ones on the swamp tour. And Rose starts looking over the script. She asks Chloe how to pronounce some voodoo shit. And Chloe <laughs> says it's supposed to be the actual curse that was put on Thomas Crowley. So Rose does what Jesse and I do when we can't figure out how to pronounce somebody's name. She looks it up on YouTube. <laughs> it's true and it works. <laughs> and so she's got these videos playing of different people. And there's like some cameos in there. Of course, the most important one is the last one, but we'll get to that. <laughs> and the curse is played on this phone and it cuts back up to the plane and you can actually hear the curse come through the static on Austin's headphones as he's miking up Andrew. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. Then Jay, the makeup artist, comes over and starts making up Andrew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the plane hits some rough air and, and, and Jay's all like, oh, no, 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 this, this is nothing. It takes a lot of turbulence to bring down a big old plane. I was on this international flight once. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the side of the plane explodes, throwing Jay through the back door. He's wearing these light up shoes that are now going to be sticking <laughs> yeah. out of this door for the rest of the fucking movie. <laughs> Yes. Um, Zach, who's the the blonde haired dude, I don't he's some crew member, I forget what he does. He starts to get sucked out a window and just his arm and head are still in. <laughs> Casey's holding on to him, he's like, I'm burning up. She throws up on him and then lets go of his ass. <laughs> I really like the comedy beats a lot better in this movie. Like everything's a little bit more subtle and low-key and in the background. Like he's really figured out how to put these jokes into the movies now. Yes. Without it being like right in front of your face. Like even the, the pilot talk earlier, right? Like he just <laughs> knows how to just have shit in the background. He doesn't have to beat the joke over your head and it's going to be hilarious and it lasts longer. <laughs> like the blinking shoes in the background. Yes. What's really awesome about the shoes is there's behind the scenes where they're like, all right, places, roll sound, speed. And action. Shit, somebody turn on the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> See, a lot of work goes into putting in an effective gag, right? <laughs> yes. So uh, Zach's charred remains con air right into the ground, right in front of the gang. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan's like, wait. And he goes to check his mangled ass pulse and his fingers go inside <laughs> yes. him. He's like, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In all this commotion, Rose drops her phone that's still playing curse videos. She must be on a playlist and uh, they hear the plane crash in the distance. So Dylan and Rose head that way while Chloe and Alex stay behind. So back at the plane, we see that everyone has survived except for Jay and the pilots. And Casey is trapped under a jetpack. What? Well, we'll get to it. And uh, the plane <laughs> is flooding. And she's trapped under all these bars and pipes and shit that's presumably from the seats. And on the behind the scenes, they're like, we need the jetpack. Like they, they, they assemble the pipes and put them on her and they keep calling it the jetpack. Why? I don't know. And uh, so she's trapped in the plane's flooding. That's going to be important for a while. Dylan and Rose walk up on the plane and Dylan takes the lead. Hey, listen up. My name is Dylan. Your plane has crashed. Honestly, I wonder if I would hate this fucking movie if he wasn't in it. The wife hates him. She hates his oh, character really? in this movie. I'm like, I, I no, like he's a little, little much in some spots, but I fucking wouldn't have it without him. 
No. And I, I can see where she's coming from because even comparing it to the rest of the franchise, his character is just so far way out there, like a PG kids movie comedy relief. Yeah. But it somehow fucking fits. And I think it's because this guy can just carry these lines and deadpan it. But I mean, like he can just say the shit and keep going serious. Like he's actually playing an action star in a movie. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? And he doesn't feel like Doofy from Scary Movie. No, not at all. It's not It's not slapsticky like that character goes into. So what ends up happening is Austin stays behind with Casey, who reveals that she's got a little Austin in her, while the rest of them head off for Dylan's boat. But that fails as soon as they hear, Daddy! Because <laughs> there's a joke made by Jay, the makeup guy, looking back and forth at him when they first are on the plane, and it's like, I've been in Hollywood a long time and everybody knows you two are fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the pregnant lady's going to drown. Just hold on to it. We're going to get to that for a very specific reason. Meanwhile, let's go see what Alex and Chloe are doing. Well, they wander off as Rose's phone begins to die, but it has just enough juice left to play one more incantation, this time from Reverend Zombie. <laughs> and the phone dies and the swamp begins to boil. Oh, shit. They finally found the right curse. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it cuts to Tony Todd and he's like, and that's the actual way. Yeah. <laughs> so the two make their way to what's left of Crowley's house. And this is all tourist trap shit now. There's like plaques. and like, this is where Crowley was hatcheted in the face. You know, there's right. like that kind of shit everywhere. And they get spooked by this motion light. And they hear Victor Crowley crying in the distance and they run into the shed and the shed being the only thing left from the Crowley house is what you're supposed to get yep. out of this. So back at the plane, everybody else is locked in because they've realized that the door only opens from the inside from the damage in the crash. And uh, Andrew says it doesn't really matter because Victor Crowley has tools and shit that could get them anyways, like his gas powered belt sander. Hopefully no one left a belt sander out there for the past 10 years, right? foreshadowing and how far does it foreshadow it foreshadows into the cut to a tight shot of the belt sander in the shed <laughs> <laughs> yep this is the actual belt sander used to kill 93 people <laughs> is what the plaque reads if you zoom in real close <laughs> so of course we're back in the shed with chloe and alex and they see the motion light kicking on outside off and on outside again but they don't see anything until Victor Crowley suddenly charges in, bashes Alex's face in with a hammer, and then rips his yeah. head off. There's a funny story behind this kill. One, that's a pickup shot. But when they actually had what's-his-nuts on set, the original plan was that the door, you couldn't walk through the doorway to get into the shed. It was supposed to have a okay. plexiglass door on it, like when you go on museum tours and stuff, and like, this is an actual relic, you can't touch it type shit. And they did a thing where Crowley was going to run into Alex and dive through the plexiglass. Oh, that would have looked cool. Yeah. Well, they didn't have the right size piece of plexiglass. They had to glue it together. The shot didn't work. So then they decided we're just not going to use this, but they didn't clean up. Okay. Even though it was candy glass, Kane Hodder actually ended up with some of the glass stuck in his hand and he couldn't feel oh. it because of nerve damage from the burn. Okay. And when he has his hand on dude's face, he was literally cutting his face open with the glass and dude really? screamed so hard. He blew a blood vessel in his eye and it fucked up the shooting schedule. <laughs> Jesus. So none of that made it into the film. I don't think the actual scream made it into the film, but the thing is his mouth was covered. So he's screaming in agony and you know, Kane Hodder, he's like, fuck yeah, man, do it. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know, but that's just some interesting behind the scenes shit. 
so Chloe's smart. She runs. She doesn't fight. And uh, she runs right past one of those other plaques next to a stump with a hatchet in it. And from out of frame, a hand reaches in and pulls the hatchet out. So now Victor Crowley is back to normal with his hatchet. I love how they found a ridiculous way to make him have access to all of his weapons without it being ridiculous. I know. Like the museum idea, that's pretty original, right? Yes. It walks the line so fucking perfectly. Especially in this day and age where it's like, come tour the house where John Wayne Gacy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, like, that, fuck. Foreshadowing. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so Chloe makes it back to the plane and from inside, everybody's relieved to see her because she's going past the windows and then they realize that Victor Crowley is walking right behind her as she's passing <laughs> these fucking windows and he slams her face through one of the plane's windows and then drags her body up the hill, paces, grunts and disappears. She's baked. <laughs> We've never seen Victor Crowley do this. Yeah. So Casey ends up letting everyone know that she's pregnant because this, this plane's always flooding. She's getting worse and worse off where she can just barely breathe. Yeah. Cause they get pissed because everybody decides to hide in the plane at some point that was not previously hiding in the plane and they weight it down even further yeah. so that the water's coming up higher. Right. Yep. And <laughs> Victor Crowley's going to make it even worse here in a little bit. Yeah. So there's a little bit of dialogue that starts going back, back and forth between the characters. And Andrew ends up revealing that he never fought off of Victor Crowley because they're asking him, they're like, well, in your book, you said that you fought him off. And it's like, no, I heard some voices in the distance and he just left. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then while all this is going on, Rose notices that Chloe's still alive up on the hill. And Dylan says he's going to go save her. And uh, first they argue about it. She's like, no, she's my best friend, you dumbass. Why would you be the one to go save her? And he's like, yeah. no, I can do it. And all I ask in return is for one kiss. Save my best friend and I'll fucking marry you when you get back. How about that? <sighs> fucking white guy hero night up in this bitch. I'm going to hold you to that. And I don't care that you have a dick. Oh, my God. And that's one of those lines that's just delivered and fantastic. Yeah. And everybody has this look on their face like, what? And uh, she's like, it's from earlier. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they quickly spot a snake on the plane. If only they had Samuel L. Jackson's ass there to save him. <laughs> so after all the shit that's gone down, seeing a snake is what sends Kathleen over the edge. And she fucking bails. Cell phone in yeah. hand, trying to call anybody because there's no service because it's the South. Right. Because there's a whole conversation earlier about Dylan trying to knock a window out to get cell phone reception. Right. And yes. they're like, why don't you just use the fucking window that's open? He's like, I know these swamps. There's better reception on the side. And Sabrina or somebody says something about why don't you just grab my phone from the fucking puddle of water under the seat. Right. And he's like fishing for it. Is it right here? Yeah. He's like, it's right here. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and it's the window that is too strong for him to break that Victor Crowley slams Chloe's face through. <laughs> yeah. So it's all a good setup. So as Kathleen runs out, we see the Victor Crowley standing right above the door on the fucking plane. And as Austin reaches out to close the door, he gets the top of his head chopped clean the fuck off. And his scalp actually flies onto Casey's face <laughs> and his brains roll off yeah. out into the floor. <laughs> yeah. It's, so fucked up. So Kathleen's running <laughs> and Victor Kelly grabs her, chops off her arm, fists her with her own arm until it pops out of her mouth, cell phone in hand. Yes. <laughs> and then we get a great Holliston style shot going down the side of the plane of everybody's reactions in the windows ending on Rose who throws up and then screams. <laughs> 
So in true Victor Crowley fashion, he then walks up the hill and stomps Chloe's head in and charges the plane. Yep. This is the impact that sends Casey all the way underwater. And at this point, oh God, I got to say funny before I say serious. So at this point, she doesn't know that baby daddy is dead and she, she can't see because yeah. of the water and she thinks she's holding uh, Austin's hand, but it's actually Dylan. And she's all like, don't let go of me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, got this look on his face. Like, I don't know what to do, but he doesn't let go. Honestly, his acting in this scene is fucking phenomenal because he's got a little bit of the goofy Dylan character in it, but Dave Sheridan also has like the face like he's holding somebody's hand as they're slowly dying and he does it and i don't know how he took a dramatic scene that he could get an award for and deputy doofy and he actually fucking puts them together in that scene i don't know like i watched that scene a couple of times over and over again i'm like this is so well done between the actor and and the way adam green shot it and i don't know it's like a really serious part of the movie just thrown in there yeah. And it, like you said earlier, it shouldn't work, but it does. And the thing Green says about this is this is the part of the movie where his fans are like, you're not the kind of guy that does this for the lulls or for shock value. You just killed a pregnant woman. Explain yourself. Yeah. And he has gone into great detail. This is me dealing with my divorce. All I've ever wanted is kids. And the realization that all these years I put into building what I thought was leading up to that is gone. And that's what I wrote down. This is me dealing with my divorce and not being able to have a kid. Like, oh, damn. Holy shit. Now it's deep. Now it actually makes sense of why it's in the script. So the fear that no one is going to make it has set in. Because like we joked about before with Rodriguez, when he says, I killed the kid and I killed the dog. You don't know what I'm going to do next. So in this film, we've got the pregnant ladies dead and all the other characters are like coming to terms with the fact that no one's going to make it. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) Dylan asked Andrew, he's like, why'd you come back? If you, if all this shit was real, do you say, why, why would you come back? He's like, well, I, I came back for the million dollars. And Sabrina's like, what? <laughs> and she fucking tears yeah. into him, letting him know that it was 25 K and that's before taxes and fees. And that he's nothing more than a profiteering asshole and a failed musician. And she asks if anyone's heard of the shitty glam metal band Haddonfield, <laughs> which is Adam Green's real band. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it is by the book to the letter shitty glam metal. It really is. Not my style. And I hate that the band name was taken. I know. (laughs) Fucking great idea for a band name, though. (laughs) So now that everybody's coming a little unhinged, Rose then tears into Sabrina and she calls her things like discount Oprah and raging sloppy (laughs) garlic cunt. Yes. But she does say that she's no better than any of them either because they were there just to, you know, profiteer off the same thing with their idea for a movie. And maybe they're all getting what they deserve. Yep. She then reveals that the videos of the curse must be what brought Victor Crowley back, (laughs) (laughs) which there's a whole thing about like what she's like. It was this YouTube video. And Dylan's like, I've got a YouTube channel chilling with Dylan. (laughs) Got 11 followers. (laughs) I forget what the number is. (laughs) (laughs) now on to the short ass third act because like the one and two i don't think the first victor crowley kill happens in this movie till like 43 minutes in it's only the third one where it happens fairly early it's only the third one where they fucking had 23 kills though (laughs) you had to start early to get that in there yeah because there's no way that runtime was going to go past an hour and 22 minutes 24 whatever it was yeah so 
We need something to break everything up out of this back and forth. So Victor Crowley slams what's left of Kathleen into the plane. Mm-hmm. And he then goes to town with the gas-powered fucking belt sander. Yep. And while he's cutting into the plane, he ends up cutting through some of the wiring and the lights kick back on on the plane. I do think it's funny that the implement, as we like to say, that almost came, it came so close to being written out of the first movie is a key component in all four fucking films. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's smart. That's smart to realize that and keep it going. So Dylan comes up with this plan now that the lights are on. He's like, I'm going to go try to get the fucking motor started and then we can try to throw his ass in it. Have you ever seen a bird go into a jet engine? (laughs) It's like this dumbass. The dumbass is the smart one and the hero. That's that's what happens. He's then he's the nice guy. Every decision he makes, he's honestly trying to help someone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) And it's a good idea from the aspect that if Victor Crowley gets yanked through the jet engine, it'll cut him the fuck up and there's no way he can come back from that. But it's also ridiculous that you have to somehow get him into the jet engine. True. And none of these motherfuckers even know the repeater thing. Right. So Dylan makes his way up into the cockpit and he pushes Joe out of the way <laughs> who keeps falling on him. <laughs> He's just banging on switches and shit. And uh, <laughs> the others swim out through the hole in the floor before Victor Crowley can get in to get him. And he gets in. They're out in the water. And then they come up out of the water because this is kind of a weird, quick thing that happens here. They come up out of the water and they split up. So first, Sabrina and Rose argue about the phone (laughs) and they split up. Andrew's just taken off in his own direction. But Rose ends up in a fucking tree, just like Marcus told everyone 10 years ago was what they needed to do. (laughs) Meanwhile, Captain Dylan McMaster of the USS (laughs) Fucked gets the engine started. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that part. Oh, it's so good. So back to our split up group, we've got Sabrina who's made it all the way back to the boat that Chloe, Alex and uh, Rose came in on and uh, she's hiding down and you can see Victor Crowley in the background. He hasn't spotted her and that fucking phone that she fought so hard to not let Rose have goes off because she gets a call giving away her position and Victor Crowley chops her head off. So by now, Andrew has gone back to the plane because he was just wandering around in the woods. We don't know what he was doing. Maybe he had to take shit. Yeah. And uh, he gets in the cockpit with Dylan and they get out a flare gun and they hop outside just in time to see Victor Crowley throw Rose down the hill that he murdered Chloe on. And Andrew fires the flare gun, hitting Victor Crowley right in the eye. I shot. Yeah, well, I was aiming for his ball, so. So (laughs) the hatchet is right in between Victor Crowley and Rose. And they reach for it at the same time. And Rose is like, uh-uh, and actually punches fucking Victor Crowley in the face yeah. <laughs> and gets the hatchet. She's like, hang on, guys, I got this. And she's like, she may be small, but she is fierce or some shit like that. And she throws yeah. the hatchet and it lands like four feet in front of Victor Crowley. Because yes. <laughs> he's standing right in front of the engine. <laughs> he's just not close enough to get sucked into it. And... uh Andrew fires the flare gun again and this time misses by like a fucking mile. Yeah. And Victor looks back like, what the fuck were you shooting at? Yeah. Is there a rabid, is there a rabid Bayou Beaver that way? (laughs) Yes. And Andrew charges him, knocks him into the engine, but he doesn't get sucked in. He manages to grab the edges. And so he's pinned there, but not getting killed. Yeah. Then Dylan turns to Rose and he tells her, I would have had your babies and fucking dives right into <laughs> Victor Crowley, turning them both into a splattering of gore on the side of the plane. Rose screams. No, the engine shuts off and Andrew screams. Fuck. Cut to black <laughs> credits. 
Jesus. So that's it for the hatchet quadrilogy. No, wait, just a few seconds into the credits. You actually get more. It's like a Marvel movie. <laughs> so the credits are interrupted by a breaking news report stating that a plane has crashed in Honey Swamp Island with only two known survivors. An eyewitness joins the broadcast by phone, stating that they're finding bodies everywhere, even deep in the woods. The shot starts to widen, and it's like it did earlier in the movie. We pull out from the TV, and we see the room that the TV's in, and uh, surrounded by Easter eggs. You've got Axel the cat beside the TV from Holliston, which I made one oh. of those for my wife for her uh, for our wedding. That was my wedding present to her. So one of the for real nice. friends just died. Anyways, um, there's a, a magazine off to the side that's got uh, Dave Brocky on it. And there's something else. I forget what it is from a band. But anyways, more importantly, you start to hear this rocking chair going. And as the shot pulls out, you start to see from behind that there's somebody sitting in this rocking chair. On the news broadcast, the anchor gets interrupted with a new update that one of the survivors is Andrew Young and the rocking stops. <laughs> and then the guy on the phone's like, oh, we just found another body. On the Crowley property. <laughs> and that causes our mystery TV viewer to hobble across the room and pick up a shotgun. I've been waiting for you, motherfucker. Mary Beth is still fucking alive. Credits. Yep. Because it was real ambiguous in the last film. And we know from interviews that she said that Adam's got two more planned. So I guess this is the direction we're going to go. Yep. So firstly, I thought this movie was an absolute turd salad the first time I saw it. Really? Yeah. And it gets better with every watch. Like if you just ignore the very small sets and the very low budget of the sets and pay attention to the fucking characters, it's a really good movie. And yeah. like you said earlier, the, the right balance of comedy. Of course, me, I love comedy and horror. It's done well. It's grounded. Even the ridiculous amounts of gore from the previous yeah. movies aren't in here. But you do get to see someone get fisted to death with their own arm. And out of all the Jason Voorhees copycat kills in this franchise, I can't recall seeing that in a movie. <laughs> I didn't even realize that it went down quite that way watching it. <laughs> it is very vivid in the director's cut. <laughs> ah, That might be the difference there. I don't know. I just think it's fascinating that I had heard you and your wife talk about Adam Green in the Hatchet movie so much. And I might not have been in the right state of mind, but you showed me the original one and I was not a fan. And, <laughs> you know, I was a little reluctant coming into this franchise and I enjoyed them more as I watched it. But looking at it on paper as I was going through the franchise, Victor Crowley looked like the Lep in the Hood or the Jason in Space movie of the franchise right yeah i was not excited going into it and i might get some hate from this especially from your wife but this is my favorite movie out of the franchise oh so far. wow and the only one that i could rewatch all the time i am taken aback by that i figured especially with the way we split the episodes that two and three were would have been your jam that's crazy i like all of them and by three, we had a better slasher flick, I feel like, right? Yeah. Which I'm the slasher guy. And, and I admit that, but there's a lot of slasher movies out there. And there's a <laughs> lot of movies that you'll hear me say are good movies that you also won't ever hear me talk about watching often, right? Yeah. And, and like I said, an episode or two ago, part of what makes a favorite movie for me has to be replay value. Yeah. And I can rewatch this one easier than I can rewatch the other three. I can definitely see that because the other, th uh, not so much the first one, but two and three, 
they're messy. You know what I mean? That's the, I guess that's the best way I yeah. could, I could put it. They're a little, not full blown sloppy, but a little messy. If I threw the original three into Adobe Premiere and cut out the credits and made one long movie, I bet I could watch it all the time. <laughs> also, like, like if I had the whole picture, but like if I was just going to pick one hatchet movie to watch and I got somebody over and they want to just watch something for fun, drink a couple beers and eat a burger or something, I'm going to put this one on. <laughs> and honestly, I, I hate saying it, but I think Dave Sheridan probably had a backache from carrying this movie, right? Like Because he's so funny that he's part of why I want to watch it. And Adam, as a director, like you can tell he's made several movies and a TV show at this point, right? Like even though you have so few locations and most of the film is in a fuselage of a plane, you can tell that as a director, he's grown in his skill so much more improved. He's got more tools in his bag to pull out. Right. Exactly. It's just a really fucking well-made movie. And he's figured out, like we said earlier to balance his horror with his comedy a little better. I feel like, and he threw a dramatic scene in there with a pregnant woman drowning to death while somebody holds her hand. Right. And he also threw in like a Marvel fucking post credit set up. Yes, I can make another fucking movie and you bet your ass you'll be there. Cause the way I just set this up. Yep. I don't know. And I'm not shitting on the other work. I just feel like this took everything that he was thinking and put it all together and the right way. Yep. But yes, you're right. If I was just looking at it as a slasher flick, I would probably like two and three the most. <laughs> well, the other really cool thing about seeing it all come together on Victor Crowley is this, this was green bringing it all together and bringing friends together. Cause this 11 day shoot, the budget for this movie is 400 K. Really? Yeah, this was a lot of work and a lot of favors being called in and a lot of friends believing in a project. You can really see where it all came together and that there was a lot of passion and a lot of friends helping out. That's insane. I know. And I don't even know if it made that. And I don't think anybody who did it cares. I feel like this was everybody getting behind their friend to get their friend out of his funk. And the movie was a bonus. And it wasn't a reboot 10 years later. Thank God. That reminds me of something from the Q&A, um, the release Q&A <laughs> and episode one. Episode one, you talked about how Green got told this movie's never going to make it because it's not a reboot. It's not a Japanese retelling, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. That was from, yeah. a, you were right, but it was from a fucking rejection letter when he was trying yeah, to sell yeah. Hatchet One because he goes on a thing about it in the Q&A, but it's like he's always done in this franchise what he's wanted to do. And some of it works, some of it doesn't. And I think in this one, it works and it blows my mind. It, I've said this before with this franchise, it's not new. It's not earth changing, earth shattering, thought provoking. It's none of that. It's a fun ride, but you can see it grow and progress. Yeah. There's a lot of other four part franchises we could talk about that just get worse and worse. Yeah. And this one, I think, I think the, the beginning and end are the actual peak and the, the meat in the middle is just a little below the caliber of what could have been. Yeah. And I'll take it a step further and even say that the original three films were more of an homage to horror, right? Yeah. And an homage to slasher flicks and him, him bringing in legends and putting them in the movie and giving them important roles and retelling and reusing kills for movies. Like I said, just pure fanfare. And this fourth one here, I feel like is really, this was him going in and making his own fucking movie. 
Yep. But at least the character had been established 10 years before, so it was okay to just go along for the ride. And I can't remember if I said this on the previous episode, but Victor Crowley is actually the title he wanted to use for the original Hatchet film. And they wouldn't let him use it, so he changed it to Hatchet. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That makes it all come around even more. (laughs) Exactly. But that's it for the Hatchet franchise. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we take a different approach and cover screenwriter Kevin Williamson. Do you like scary movies? As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at SBIS Podcasts. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening.